So it was the summer of 1989, and I was a student at UMD. I was in my accounting theory class, and the idea of the accounting theory accounting is this concept study the theory of accounting. And, and along the theory of accounting is this concept called GAAP, G-A-A-P, Generally Accepted Accounting Principles, and they are established by the FASB, the Financial Accounting Standards Board, and they set up all things accounting and, and give direction, and at any rate, there was this contention about financial statements and the value of audited financial statements, and the fact that audited financial statements were very important for the market to use to make determinations about where to invest. And I said, what if... What if those audited financial statements are not accurate and the market is deceived? Which was uniformly dismissed by everyone in the class, including the instructor. I just absolutely got tattooed for, for even mentioning the notion that an independent audited financial statement report would be anything less than independent and well audited and accurately describing the activities of the organization. For my effort, a few years later, I got this little piece of paper, Minnesota State Board of Accountancy, let it be known that John Mark Joss, blah, 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 certified public accountant, certificate number 15713, although I never practiced public accounting, and so actually this isn't worth much more than the financial statements that Enron got. <laughs> Don't you love being right? You're just like, I love being right. I would love to go back and say. <laughs> exactly. I actually have a friend who comes to Timberwood who is a, who is a director at um, a, a partner in Anderson. All that is to say, this last week I walked out to my car. <laughs> there was a woodchuck under my car. And then because I was Will's car that I was driving, as I walked up to it, it climbed up into the car. And I have no idea where it went after that. Theodore Roosevelt, in 1908, issued this directive, okay? Because he looked at the condition of the United States military and saw that inactivity had, had produced sloth. And so he issues this directive in 1908, and the directive was fought tooth and nail, okay? The, the military forces appealed all the way to Converse, Congress to attempt to get the directive reversed. And the directive was simply this, that all officers in the United States military should be able to and are forced to walk 50 miles in 20 hours over three days. Seems simple, doesn't it? Second he gets out of office, the military was like, yeah, we ain't doing that anymore. Keeping these things in mind, we're going back to the same two verses we did last week, in part because Tom wanted to do verses 1 and 2 instead of just verse 1, and in part because it kind of does this idea of, of this, what well, we've experimented this year, of the exact same text two weeks in a row to kind of do a deep dive, but also hear different perspective, a different take on the same reality. So here we go. I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, page 947, Romans chapter 1. Chapter 12, verse 1. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed 
to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters. Um, Schreiner argues, exhort would be a great word to use here. I exhort you. It's designed to, to create a sense of urgency. It's designed to create this. When we think of an appeal in a legal sense, you know, you think of, okay, the case has been adjudicated at a lower level. It gets appealed to the next level for a, for a more careful look, a more intentional look. Whoever lost wants to prevail. They think their case has a shot, and so they appeal to the next level for a more careful look, a more intentional look, a more focused look. Paul says, I appeal to you, brothers and sisters. I really want you to pay attention. I, I really want you to focus on this. I want you to listen. I want you to hear. I want you to take this in and embrace it. I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, I want your consideration on this matter. Not that you haven't been paying attention all along, because you have been, but, but I appeal to you, really, really focus on this. The whole case, chapters 1 through 11, distilled into this single, simple executive summary. I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual form of worship, which is your spiritual worship. Presentation is everything. This whole idea of a living sacrifice tr truly is rooted in the cultic practices of the Old Testament of the nation of Israel. But as we understand, obviously, Paul's not arguing that we continue to kill animals, okay, to satisfy the sin reality that exists in the world, that that is done and completed by what Jesus Christ was willing to do. But he uses this imagery, and, and to be sure, the, the imagery is drenched in blood. But it's much more than that. Present your bodies, a, a living sacrifice. What does that look like? We often say at Timberwood Church, we want to avoid a list of do's and don'ts because we can worship the list rather than worshiping the God who is behind the list. But Paul, in chapter 12, will lay out a list. And other places in the New Testament, Paul argues for a list. Here are behaviors that are consistent with who God is and who God wants us to be. Paul often gives lists, so maybe a list isn't all bad. Maybe it might even be helpful. This notion, presenting your bodies as a living sacrifice. A sacrifice, something that dies, yeah. S something that dies so that something else might live, good. A sacrifice, something that is offered to God for a higher purpose. A sacrifice that, when offered to God, has a higher value than when it's on its own. A sacrifice taking something common and making it holy 
because it's offered to God. We are to be a sacrifice, something that is common, something that is ordinary. Billions of people live in the world. We're not unique in that respect. But when the common is offered to God, that is when the reality of a sacrifice goes into effect. That when we offer our lives, our common, ordinary, everyday lives, that that qualifies in God's economy of things as a sacrifice. A holy, read distinct, a holy and acceptable thing to God. And that that package, that that common, ordinary, offered to God, being a sacrifice, is then this thing called spiritual worship. At least that's what it's translated. F.F. Bruce argues you could just as easily translate, since the exact transliteration of the words spiritual worship is reasonable service. Now, the biblical writers will take Greek terms that were familiar to the Greek audience in the first century and put a spiritual spin on them. So I don't think we're wrong in looking at this as spiritual worship. I think that's 100% accurate. But the driving force behind it is these two words of reasonable service. That in light of who God is, in light of the world as we experience it, in light of how God intersects with all of us, it's reasonable It's not a bad thing. It's not a hard thing. It's not even a thing that's out of bounds. It's a reasonable thing that God says. Here's what I want. I want you. I want the common. I want the ordinary. I want the everyday part of you. I want you to work with me. Spiritual worship reasonable service, that in light of all that God has done, in light of the work of Jesus Christ, in light of the power of the Holy Spirit that is alive in our lives today, if you have a relationship with Jesus Christ, you have the Holy Spirit. That's what the Bible says. It's a reasonable thing to want to give your body. It's a reasonable thing for me to want to give my body the totality of my existence, my body, to him. Verse 2. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. That word transformed is kind of a special word in the New Testament. It only occurs a couple times. One, it occurs when referring to Jesus, okay, when he kind of has this moment on the Mount of Transfiguration. So early in his career, early in his teaching ministry, okay, as people are fully understanding who he is, there's this moment in which he's high on a mountain and his disciples are around him and he is literally transfigured, changed from a dude that looks like an ordinary dude to the radiance of his future reality, what he will look like in heaven, what he will look like post-resurrection. And it's just like, everyone's just like, whoa, Let's build something here and celebrate this. 
Jesus is like, no, that's not what we're about. The other place that it's used is to describe followers of Jesus Christ in 2 Corinthians, followers of Jesus Christ, and what happens to them as they get closer and closer to God. Transformation is what happens when the mind is renewed. And the mind is renewed at a point at which there is a thinking about things from the way that the spiritual world or God thinks about things as differentiated from how the world thinks about things. The line is is a confirmation either with the ways of God and the practices of God or a confirmation of the ways and practices of the world. And transformation occurs when the way that we think about our lives moves from how the world describes we should think about our lives to how God says we should think about our lives. And I like questions. So, a list of questions. Am I thinking about the right things? On the pathway to transformation, on the pathway to becoming more like Jesus Christ, am I thinking the right things? And am I thinking about things in the right way? And am I thinking about things from the perspective of a follower of Jesus Christ? Am I thinking about things not from a perspective of what I would want, but what he would want. If you've ever served in any capacity or helped out an organization, one of the keys that you want to do is understand the organization. For a couple of years, I was on the Bridges of Hope Board, a local nonprofit agency which helps individuals who are in a bad spot get to a good spot, assuming they're willing to put in a little sweat equity. Great concept. I wanted to understand what Bridges of Hope was about because I didn't want to run an organization like I think it should be run. I want to understand how the organization describes itself and then hold the organization to that standard. Sometimes when we come to this thing called faith, we think in terms of like, well, okay, I accept Jesus as my Savior, but how can I live the way that I want to live? Wrong question. It's going to produce poor results. But thinking in terms of, okay, I have come to faith in Jesus Christ and attempting to understand, now, how does he want this thing to be run? Is a radically different perspective. And if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, always remember to whom you belong. Always remember the goal in mind, the transformation of your life. Ultimately, the reality of an eternity with him. So let's put boots on the ground on this one. Let's take politics. Because everyone seems to have an opinion, right? In fact, a friend of mine last week asked me to skip forward to Romans 13 for this week. I said, don't worry, we'll get there. And I had another conversation with a different friend. It was actually this kind of ongoing conversation, and we're having a little fun. And even though I suspect we don't agree on everything, we agree on a lot. But I'd say something, and then I would ask him, does that sound conservative? 
Or then I'd say something else and I'd say, does that sound liberal? And then I'd say something else and does that sound like a socialist or does that sound like a communist or does that sound, because it was kind of fun, right? For some of us, it is. For the others of us, we're thinking, um, feels a lot like Thanksgiving and I don't want to be here anymore. But even in those conversations, always remember to whom you belong. Always remember the goal in mind. And probably we've bought into the ideology, depending upon which side of the aisle we like to sit on, that if we don't fight, then bad things will happen. If we're not angry, how will they know we're for real? And I get it. I get it. Passion communicates things. But in light of whose I am, does it really matter? If what I believe the Bible tells me about life and death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, about an eternity with him or being separated from him, does a temporal political experience really matter in the long run? Make your case. And I like to read. I like to read from both sides, all sides. I find it very intriguing. I like to read when my gal or girl is in power, and I like to read when my gal or girl isn't in power. And we're led to believe that this discussion is so important. In fact, we believe it's so important because many of us are willing to spend much more time listening to MSNBC or Fox News than we spend in our Bible. Litmus test. Try that one on this week. For every minute, every hour you spend listening to a news feed, spend an equal hour reading the Word of God. In fact, I would even take an hour to 10 minutes. Watch for 10 minutes, read for an hour. <laughs> oh, wow, what did I just do there? Can't do that because I won't be informed because I won't have the latest ammunition because I won't be able to decide for a real news from, from news that isn't real. And that's the most important thing. It's not. This is the most important thing. And thinking the right things and thinking about things in the right way is absolutely critical to having your mind transformed. And I'm going to give you a news alert. MSNBC, Fox News, CNN, whatever Twitter feed you enjoy, whatever Facebook pages you comment on, None of them are committed to your spiritual health. Not a single one. Text goes on. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. 
that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Testing one, two, three. So at the beginning of May, I was really, I don't really succumb to peer pressure, but I got beat up into doing a 50-mile walk <laughs> with a 30-pound pack on my back. Now, part of it, I'm doing it because I'm thinking, okay, it could be a nice warm-up to see what my body will be like in the month of November when I'm trying to walk that whole month. And, and part of it was, it was just, it was just relentless. So, so yeah. Now, why would you do a 50-mile walk? Well, truth be told, I only did 40 miles because then my body failed because I was stupid with my nutrition. I didn't think I was being stupid. Okay, I thought my nutrition goals and, and what I was eating really would have sustained me. I had a peanut butter and jelly sandwich every other hour. I had a banana on the off hours. I had chocolate milk. I had Coke. I had water. I had some monster cookies. <laughs> I'm good, right? And for the first 20 miles, it was, it was wonderful. For the next five miles, it was hard, and I was about willing to quit. And for the last 15 miles, I consumed greater than the prescribed amount of ibuprofen just to keep moving. I ended at 40. Done. In some ways, I failed the test. But you don't always have to pass a test. It's good to learn to fail. When we test... We, we compare something to something that is known. When we test, we push something to a conclusion or a failure. When we test, we ask questions about something. A side note, just because it seems like it's so prevalent today, prevalent today, maybe don't assume that those around you have good mental health. Maybe even your closest friends, maybe ask them, flat out ask them, if they have any intention of harming themselves or someone else. Good testing is, is asking questions about something. Good testing is trying something and seeing what kind of results that you get. Good testing is trying something and understanding, did it work? And if it didn't, why didn't it work? Is it healthy for my body, for my soul, for my mind? What exactly am I dealing with? Testing. What have I been taught? What have I learned? And above all, the standard is for something to be good and acceptable and perfect. Gap. Please pray with me. Father, you and the Son and the Spirit are truly the only entities that are 100% committed to our best. If nothing else, Father, allow us to absorb that reality today. 
And if we can get that, Father, then perhaps we can allow you to have authority in our lives. Allow the work of transformation. Allow the work of presenting a common, ordinary thing to you to become real. To test what we do and what we say to a gap standard. Is it good and acceptable and pleasing? Not to us, but to you.